In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, Lost Wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 50 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Thank you so much for hopping on board this podcast adventure to what I like to think of as the best city in the world, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get rolling for this episode of the show, I want to thank my guest from the last episode of the podcast, Tim Arnold, the founder of the Pinball Hall of Fame. It was awesome getting to know Tim, chatting about his start in the pinball and arcade business, as well as the history and the future of the Pinball Hall of Fame. If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 49, or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, here we go. This episode, it's another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. It's a rundown of my most recent trip to Las Vegas from January 11th to 14th, 2020, trip number one of the year. As in past trip reports, I'm going to run through a few highlights and lowlights of the trip, including my hotel experience, a rundown of the restaurants that I hit up, and a couple of attractions I checked out as well. And as usual, I've also got a few extra tidbits to share, including some tips and tricks that might help make your upcoming Vegas vacation more enjoyable. So without any further ado, let's get to it. As in my past trip reports, I'm going to begin with my hotel, which in this case also includes my hotel booking experience. Initially, I'd chosen to stay at The Link, which I was rather excited about. I'd heard good things about the property. The location is great. They've got a ton of great on-site amenities, and the value was really good. Most importantly, I've never stayed there before, so I was looking forward to having a new hotel to review for the podcast. It ended up that I was going to be able to head to Vegas a day earlier than I'd planned, so I decided to call them up to see what it would cost to add an extra day to the start of my trip. I've done this in the past, and I've never had an issue with getting it done. Totally different experience this time around. After the agent put me on hold to check on availability, she came back and told me that the type of room that I'd booked originally, a deluxe king room, was sold out for the Friday night but they could put me in a different room type, a deluxe two queens for $117. My first reaction was that that price seemed a little steep to me. I mean, I get it. It's Friday night in Vegas and room rates are generally a bit higher, but just as I was about to bite the bullet and say, okay, she hit me with this little nugget. Because the room type was different than what I'd originally booked, I'd have to check out of the new room on Saturday morning and then wait until Saturday afternoon to check back in to my original room type. I told her I was willing to stay in the new room through the whole weekend. I was traveling solo and really didn't care what type of bed I had, but 
She kept telling me that wasn't possible. Now, here is where I'm going to come across as a bit of an asshole. I don't like to play the don't you know who I am card ever. I worked in retail and customer service for enough years to deal with those types of people myself, and I always hated it. But in this situation, I felt it was somewhat warranted. As I've mentioned in past episodes, I am diamond tier with Caesars Rewards. With that tier comes a certain level of expected service in addition to the other perks and bonuses. So I flat out asked her, is this how you treat all your diamond members? See, I told you I was going to end up sounding like an asshole. There was a brief pause. She apologized and put me on hold to go speak to a manager to see if there was anything she could do. Meanwhile, while I was on hold, I jumped onto the Caesars website to start looking at rates at other hotels for the same dates. In my search, I came across the Flamingo, where I could snag a King Go room for an average rate of $40 a night. She came back on the line a short time later and explained that there was nothing they could do for me other than to remark my reservation that I'd like to stay in the same room, but that my expectation should be that I'd be changing rooms after the first night. I again reiterated to her that I didn't think it was reasonable for me to have to be going through the hassle of moving rooms, especially when I was being charged $117 for the extra night. I then asked the agent on the phone if she could assist me in canceling my reservation with the link and moving me over to the Flamingo for the rate that I was seeing online. I was told in no uncertain terms, no. So I politely ended the call and ended up self-serving the cancellation at the link and rebooking the Flamingo. Now, as it turned out, my flight into Vegas on Friday night ended up being super delayed. I didn't get into town until after 11 p.m., meaning that I wasn't checked into my hotel until after 11.30 p.m. Honestly, I'd have been super pissed off if I'd paid $117 for less than 12 hours of use of a room, especially if I'd ended up having to change rooms in the morning. So, as mentioned, I ended up staying at the Flamingo, where I've stayed numerous times in the past. As such, I won't go into too many details on the room, but if you're after something a little more in-depth, check out episodes number 1, number 10, or number 31 of the podcast. This time around, I was given a King Go room on the 22nd floor of the resort tower with a strip view. I can honestly say this was a room that was definitely showing its age. Some of the wallpaper was starting to peel. There was water staining on the walls in the bathroom. The carpet looked extremely worn and the furniture in the room just looked old and a bit beaten up. The walls seemed much thinner than I remembered. I could clearly hear my neighbor's morning routines, and there was a weird smell coming from the sink drain, like a stagnant water smell. On the positives, though, the staff was super friendly at check-in, the bed was amazingly comfortable, and of course, you can't beat the Flamingo when it comes to location. You're basically dead center of the strip with access to everything you could possibly need. As such, in spite of all of its warts, the Flamingo remains at the top of my list of recommendations for hotels in Las Vegas. And up next, it's time to talk about what is easily my favorite Vegas topic, food. This time around, being that I was on my own and in town for such a relatively short period of time, I didn't really have a chance to check out any new spots. So, much like the network TV schedule between the months of May and September, this trip report is full of a whole bunch of repeats. We'll start off with Guy Fieri's Vegas Kitchen and Bar at The Link. 
I've reviewed this spot a couple of times in the past, specifically in episodes number one and number 24 of the podcast. It's one of my go-to breakfast spots, and I've raved about how amazing the Fieri family French toast is, and I still recommend that to everyone. This time around, though, I decided to change it up and give the Big Bite Burrito a try. It's a breakfast burrito jammed with scrambled egg, chorizo sausage, and tater tots with a side of homemade tortilla chips, cheese, and guacamole. I paired all that up with a coffee and a very generous pour of Bailey's Irish cream. All of it was fantastic and made for a great start to the day. Next up, it's Rira Irish Pub at Mandalay Bay. I don't think there's much more I could say about Rira that I haven't already said. New favorite Irish pub, blah, blah, blah. Food and atmosphere amazing, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely love the place, blah, blah, blah. If you want to go in-depth on this one, jump into the archives and check out episodes number 24, 31, and 44. Next, it's Evil Pie on East Fremont Street. I reviewed this place all the way back in episode number 10 of the podcast and hadn't visited since. However, it's been on my to-do list to make a repeat visit for a very long time. For the unfamiliar, Evil Pie is located downtown on Fremont Street, just east of the Fremont Street experience. It's named for stuntman Evil Knievel, who famously attempted to jump the fountains at Caesar's Palace on a motorcycle back on December 31st, 1967. Side note. He failed. The restaurant actually works in partnership with Knievel's estate and son and features a huge collection of evil Knievel memorabilia. It's also a great spot to grab a slice and a beer if you're downtown, which is exactly what I did. The quality was amazing. The price, fantastic. I dropped just $11 for a huge slice of Hog Heaven pizza and a Budweiser. If you plan on spending any time downtown on Fremont, I would highly recommend you check this place out for yourself. Next, let's talk Wahlburgers at Bally's. This is another spot I reviewed back on episode number 10 of the podcast that I finally made my way back to. Once again, I had the originally from Dorchester burger with a beer, and I split a side of tater tots with a buddy who happened to be in town at the same time as me. As usual, the food was awesome, atmosphere is fun, and the service was great. If you're after something good and simple and somewhat reasonably priced, you should absolutely hit up Wahlburgers and try it for yourself. And finally, Gordon Ramsay Burger at Planet Hollywood. I've reviewed this place twice before, on episodes number 10 and number 24. And previously, it always had great experiences here. Uh, Gordon Ramsay Burger has traditionally been one of my go-to spots when I'm in town. This time, however, was a totally different experience for me. As per usual, there was a huge lineup for dinner, but being solo, I asked if I could just grab a seat at the bar, which was exactly what I ended up doing. I sat there for close to 10 minutes before I was even acknowledged by the bartender, who walked past me a bunch of times. Then, when he finally did speak to me, he came across as really gruff, bordering on rude. The food came out relatively quick, but the bartender never once checked on me to see how my food was or to ask if I needed another beer or a refill on my water. And if I'm being honest, the burger was just all right, and the onion rings were subpar. For now, I'm just going to chalk it up to them having an off night, and I'll likely give Gordon Ramsay Burger another chance on a future trip. (laughs) 
Next up, let's talk attractions. I spent an unusual amount of time downtown on this trip. As regular listeners to the podcast are aware, I'm not a huge fan of Fremont Street. I know the prices are better on food and drinks and the odds on the slots are allegedly better and there's a lot to see and do downtown, but I've always just preferred to stick to the strip unless I had to head downtown for something specific. And on this trip, I did. MJ and Bree are the hosts of the Keeping It Casual podcast, a sex-positive dating and relationship podcast, and they live in Las Vegas. I always love connecting with fellow podcasters, and if there's a way that I can get them on my show, I will absolutely take advantage of that. I enlisted the ladies' help to chat for an upcoming episode about planning girls' trips to Las Vegas. We initially planned to connect on the Strip, but they convinced me to come meet them downtown instead. We headed to the downtown container park, which for the uninitiated is a really cool shopping and dining area just east of Fremont Street experience. The entire complex is made out of old shipping containers stacked together. There's a ton of unique food vendors and tiny little boutique shops, as well as play areas for the kids and some very cool entertainment. There's also a giant metal praying mantis out front that shoots fire out of its antenna. And in addition to all of that, Container Park also plays host to live entertainment events on a pretty regular basis. For the ladies and I, though, it was just an awesome spot for us to sit outside, enjoy the sunshine, do some people watching, and have a great conversation. Be watching for that episode to release in the next few weeks. And if you want info on Downtown Container Park, visit them online at downtowncontainerpark.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. On this trip, I also headed downtown to visit one of my favorite spots, the Mob Museum. AKA the National Museum of Organized Crime and Law Enforcement, the Mob Museum is consistently one of the top attractions in Las Vegas with great reviews on both TripAdvisor and Vegas.com. If you're at all interested in the history of organized crime in the United States and around the world, as well as specifically how it relates to Las Vegas, you need to go see this place for yourself. If you do add the Mob Museum to your itinerary and it's your first visit there, plan to spend lots of time, like a minimum of two to three hours. It's packed with tons of amazing artifacts and exhibits like the St. Valentine's Day Massacre wall and Al Capone's phone booth, as well as lots of great history and info and some very cool interactive experiences, including the Crime Lab and the Firearms Training Simulator and Use of Force exhibit. They're also home to The Underground, a legit reproduction of a Prohibition-era speakeasy where you can grab a drink or two and check out the moonshine stills. Base admission is $29.95, and if you're wanting to add the firearms training and or crime lab to your visit, there's a slightly higher admission price for those experiences. However, if you hunt around online and search Groupon, you can usually find reduced admission tickets. And if you want to dive deep into the museum and mob history in Vegas, jump into the archives and check out episode number 22 of the podcast, Mob Rules, for my interview with Jeff Schumacher of the Mob Museum. All right, this short little trip report is pretty much done. But before I go, I do have a few random things I want to share. First off, in past episodes, I've harped on everyone about the proper way to cross the street in Las Vegas and how important it is to follow the traffic signals. 
On this trip, that was really driven home, as a pedestrian was actually hit and killed at the intersection of Las Vegas Boulevard and Desert Inn Road, just north of the wind. According to police, a man was trying to run across the street, crossing against the light, when he tripped and fell and was hit by a car. And I wouldn't be exaggerating when I said I witnessed at least a dozen near hits all along the strip, all of which were the result of people not following the traffic signals. This trip, I also got to experience my very first ever jackpot win and hand pay. I managed to pull $1,350 out of a single payline $1 slot machine with a $3 bet. And it actually hit on my very first spin on the machine. I'd been playing the penny slots previously and was down to $37. So I cashed out of there and thought, what the hell, I'll give it a couple of spins on the $1 machine. When it hit and I saw how much I'd won, it took a couple of seconds for it to sink in. My brain was still in penny slot mode and I initially thought, oh, $13.50, that's nice. And then it hit me. Now the toughest part of winning a jackpot was knowing that they were gonna withhold taxes on the win. 30%. So my $1,350 turned into $945. But as a Canadian, I can actually work to get those taxes back. I've already been in contact with a couple of companies here in Canada who work on that. So it'll be an almost full jackpot at some point. And I'll be sure to share the progress of that claim in future episodes of the podcast. And finally, on the gambling theme, I was able to connect with Heather Ferris on this trip. Heather is the CEO and founder of Vegas Aces, an online dealing and gaming school based in Las Vegas. And she was a guest on one of the early episodes of the podcast, episode number 13 to be exact, where we talked about my fear of table games and she taught me about playing blackjack as a novice. Heather hosts a live stream on YouTube every Monday where she teaches a new game and she invited me on to learn how to play craps. We connected at the UNLV Gaming Lab and I have to say I had an absolute blast. Heather is an amazingly patient teacher and we had a lot of fun. I'll post the link to the live stream video in the show notes. Side note, I also had a conversation with Heather for an upcoming episode of the podcast on the topic of cheating at gambling and when skill becomes cheating. Keep an eye out for that episode to drop in the next few weeks. And that brings to a close another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you're looking for suggestions for your own Vegas vacation, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. You can also drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes, including links to everything mentioned in this episode of the show. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 50 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. <laughs> <laughs>